Good morning, church. Um, you know, the first time I've seen that video was this morning at the 8 o'clock service. And um, I was really impressed because Wade is the master of embellishment. And he always overhypes. And he didn't today. And I'm really grateful for that, you know, because there's a lot of pressure when he overhypes like that. But, um, but he didn't do that today. Um, thanks for being here today. And um, I, I want to begin our time together talking about... Um, we're going to be in Isaiah 7 this morning, Isaiah 7. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 7, you can go ahead and do that. But as we get started, I want us to think about all the signs that we see around us. I think that, you know, if, if, we're, if we really pay attention, we'll notice that, man, there are probably hundreds of signs that we see um, perhaps daily, as we're driving along the roads, we'll see, you know, road signs and we'll see all sorts of, you know, business signs and all that. And all of those things are, co are communicating to us, you know, especially our traffic signs. You know, when you drove into the parking lot this morning, you saw the welcome home sign and you were probably either trying to avoid it by not hitting it or you thought to yourself, oh, I feel so welcomed this morning. I saw that sign. You know, if you, if you work out at the rec center, it always baffles me. There's like 10 or 12 stop signs in the, in the parking lot. It's amazing um, that I noticed that. But they're committed to their signs. But signs are important. You know, speed limit signs are really important, right? And some of you probably would refer to them as, you know, suggestions and, and not rules uh, on the road. You know, we do have someone on our staff that views speed limit signs as suggestions. I won't name any names, Wade Owens, but, um, but signs are important. You probably heard about the story of the police officer that uh, pulled the sweet little old lady over one day, and she was going 15 miles per hour in the 70 mile per hour speed zone. And he was wondering why she was driving so slowly, and she said, well, sir, I, I saw the, the sign that said I-15, and I thought that that was the speed limit. And he said, no, no, no. The speed limit is actually 70 miles per hour. By that time, he looked in the back of the car, and he noticed these ladies, some older, sweet little ladies, were sitting in the back, and they were terrified, had terrified looks on their faces, and they were white as a sheet. And he was like, hey, what's wrong with these ladies? And she said, well, we just got off of I-215. <laughs> so, you know, signs are important because, you know, they help, and, um, and if you read them correctly, they really help. But you know, the Bible talks about um, signs. And there are occasions in the Bible where, where God gives a sign. It's something beyond itself. It points to something beyond itself, to a greater meaning, to a greater concept, to a greater purpose. Think of a signal or a monument or a beacon of some sort, something obvious that serves the purpose of pointing us to a deeper truth, that God is at work, that God is intervening, that God is on duty, that he is making things happen according to his will and his purposes in every situation. And this morning, we're going to read about that a little bit in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And you're familiar with this passage because we we read it often at Christmas time. And this is what it says. Emmanuel, uh, I'm sorry, yes, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. There's that word. See, the virgin will conceive, 
have a son and will name him Emmanuel. And so we read that verse, and this is the verse that we're probably really familiar with in the Christmas story, right? Matthew chapter 1 is where you've read it since you were probably a little, a little kid. Well, Matthew is referencing this verse from 700 years before when Isaiah wrote it, prophesying the coming of Jesus, prophesying the coming of the Messiah. So we're going to talk about that just a little bit today. And as, before we jump in, let's pray. So Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that we could gather today and worship like this. Thank you that you are here with us, Emmanuel, in this very moment. And Lord, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for Jesus. And I pray that today your word would speak to us and that we wouldn't leave here the same person that we walked in as, that we would leave as a transformed person. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in order for us to, to move forward here with Isaiah 7, I, I, let me give you some context. And I really need you to stay with me because there's some details here I need you to follow along. Are you ready? You ready? Okay. So here's one of the main characters that we're going to read about is King Ahaz. All right, so Ahaz is over here. King Ahaz was the king of Judah the southern kingdom. Now, if you're familiar with Israel's history, you'll know that the kingdom of Israel was divided into two different kingdoms after the reign of Solomon. Through some economic strife and some disagreement, the two sides decided to split, kind of like a little civil war, and they, northern went this way and southern went this way, divided kingdom. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. The northern kingdom comprised of 10 tribes of Israel, right? And they established themselves a king. In the southern part, southern kingdom, the two tribes of Israel, which was the Davidic line of David through which Jesus would come, would be Judah and Benjamin. So the southern kingdom was often called Judah. So if you read in the scriptures where it says the king of Judah, which is who Ahaz was at this very moment in time, he's talking about the southern kingdom. So you've got the northern kingdom, and you've got the southern kingdom, and you've got Ahaz. You've also got Isaiah in this story. And Isaiah was a prophet of God, called by God to communicate God's words to God's people, in this case, Judah. He is God's prophet, God's messenger to the southern kingdom, Judah, right? In which King Ahaz was king. Now, right around 734 B.C., some things were happening here in this region. The first thing that was happening was that Assyria was becoming a very powerful nation, and they were ruthless. Their army was strong, and they were gobbling up city after city, nation after nation to expand their kingdom, and they had their eyes set on the northern kingdom and also another nation nearby called Syria. And so as a result of this, the northern kingdom and Syria decided to make an alliance to combat against the impending uh, invasion of Assyria. And when they were surveying the land and understanding kind of their situation, they realized that they did not have enough. They weren't strong enough. Their armies weren't powerful enough. What are they going to do? They're not going to be able to push off Assyria and their invasion. And so what they decided to do was to invade the southern kingdom Judah, where King Ahaz was king, to get rid of Ahaz and then take on their army as a part of theirs to combat against the invasion of Assyria. So right in this moment, you've got King Ahaz, who is 
trying to figure this out. He's nervous. He's not as strong as the northern kingdom in Syria um, together. He's definitely not as strong as Assyria. He's kind of a sitting duck. And the Bible says in chapter 7, verse 2, that the people, verse 2, it's up on the board. When it became known to the house of David, that's Judah, right, that Aram, that's Syria, had occupied Ephraim, that's the northern kingdom, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. Pretty detailed, right? They were scared. Ahaz, panic-stricken. The people who were following their leader, afraid. Now, one thing I need you to know about Ahaz is that Ahaz was not was an evil king. He was not a follower of God. He did not have faith in God. He did not worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, he had associated himself with pagan nations and pagan gods. In 2 Kings, you, you, you see where he actually um, sacrificed his own son to the god Moloch in that time. He was an evil king. And there's a summary statement that kind of um, sums up his life. It comes from 2 Kings 6.2. It says, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. When times got tough in Ahaz's life, he had no spiritual resources from which to draw from. He didn't have a relationship with God. He wasn't prepared for this trial, for this storm that was going to come. He had no anchor. He had no root in his life. Let me just tell you this. Let me stop here and say this real quick. Those with deep roots can withstand life storms. Those with deep roots can withstand life storms. The person who is prepared for the storms of life is the person whose roots go deep. They have a relationship with God. They have an abiding connection to the God of the universe who loves them. And over my years of ministry, I've ministered to people that have um, gone through some really hard things in their lives, some storms, crisis-level things, really, really hard things. And I've seen people that have navigated those storms with faith, and I've seen those who have navigated those storms with fear. And the people that have navigated those storms with faith are the ones whose roots go deep in their relationship with God. And the ones that don't, don't have that relationship with God. They're deeply rooted. They're not surprised. The people that, that have deep roots, they're not surprised by the storm, nor are they overthrown by the storm. Now, they would say, this isn't fun. This is, I'm not happy about this. I don't like this. But the difference that I see in those people is they have hope. There's a, there's a humble confidence that God is in the middle of all the details, that he is working, and that God's wills and his ways are going to come about for their good. And that's the hope and the faith that they have when the storms come. And then there are the people that don't have that root. They're not, they're not rooted in God when the storms come, and they do get surprised. And they're deeply unsettled. And they believe that the only way out of this situation is to frantically be busy trying to fix it all. And they're not prayerful, they're not faith-filled, they're not vulnerable, and they have no spiritual resources. And this is where Ahaz is 
in this moment. He is afraid. He's got no spiritual resources, so he's trying to figure out in his own strength. He's not praying to the Lord. He's not talking to God about it. He's just trying to fix it. What am I going to do? i gotta, I got to fix this. And his, his idea to fix it, he's about to make a grave mistake. Rather than go up against Assyria, you know, worried about this invasion from the northern kingdom in Syria, he's going to align himself and go to Assyria and ask to partner together in alliance, which is not what God wanted. Now, on paper, that might sound like a good idea if you're a has, but at the end, we know that it's kind of like two rats asking a cat for help against two other rats. It's, at the end, you're just going to get eaten alive. And actually, that's what happened. So in the middle of all this comes Isaiah with a word from the Lord. And he's going to come and he's going to say to Ahaz a few things. Verse 7, he says, Say to him, talking God talking to Isaiah, Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. This is Isaiah's word from God to Ahaz. Verse 7, it will not take place. It will not happen, talking about this invasion. In fact, if you read it there, I'm not going to read it here, but if you read it, you'll see that God calls these two armies smoldering sticks. And then verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And so in other words, he's saying Ahaz, don't give in. Don't do this. Don't compromise. Don't lose heart. Don't you know, Ahaz, that I am the king, that I am the ruler of the world, and that no earthly king can come against me and thwart my plans and my purposes. Stop living by sight and start believing that if I am for you, no one can be against you. And so one of the questions that I thought about as I was thinking about these passages this morning is this, do I believe, do I truly believe that God is bigger than the thing that I fear the most in my life? Do you believe that God is bigger than the thing that you fear the most in your life? Because those things feel big. They feel like they overcome. They they'll overthrow us. They feel big. That financial issue, that family issue, the relationship issue, that identity issue, whatever, fill in the blank, whatever the issue is, do you believe that God is bigger than the thing that you fear the most in your life? Ahaz didn't think so. Ahaz didn't think so. And so we pick up in verse 10. Isaiah comes to Ahaz again, and he says, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. In other words, make it a zinger. You know, make it hard for me. Make it hard for me. You know, it can be as, as low as Sheol, as high as heaven. Let me show you what I'm capable of. And look at Ahaz's response. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. Now we would look at that. We might would say, well, Ahaz is a pious guy, right? I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's saying that he didn't want to test the Lord. That would be 
not good, right, to do. We don't want to test the Lord, and we want to ask questions for sure. Oftentimes, people who test the Lord are, are not faithful in their request, but in this case, God is commanding Ahaz to ask for a sign, and Ahaz says, no, I couldn't do it. But really, God knows it's just a cover-up because Ahaz has already decided about, it, about what he wants to do. He wants to form an alliance. And so Isaiah is fed up. Verse 13, he says this, 14, 13, 14. Isaiah said, listen, house of David. Now he's speaking to the people. Is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now, if you're Ahaz, you might be thinking to yourself, a baby? That's what you got for me, Isaiah? You got me a, I don't need a baby. You know what I'm saying? I, don't need a, I need an army. I need bazookas. I need, I need missiles. I need tanks. I need something that's going to withstand this invasion that's coming. Now, a little side note, that biblical scholars, because when you think about this, there's, a, there's, an immediate, there's an immediate response, right? An immediate prophecy and then a, and then a far prophecy related to this, all right? And in the immediate, um, the immediate fulfillment of this, biblical scholars think that this sign that day refers to what happened in Isaiah 8.3, where the conception of Isaiah's baby through his wife um, was a sign to Judah that God was in control and that God was with them. But we also know that there's a far fulfillment to this prophecy as well, right? The ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy, Jesus Christ. Matthew shows that, right? That it's the greater fulfillment in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's the miracle of Christmas for us. The miracle of Christmas is that the God of the universe, who is an infinite, eternal spirit without any boundaries or limitations, with an intellect, a personality, with feelings and a will, came to us. And of all the things about Christianity that I think is one of the, is the greatest truth is, is that when our sin prevented us from getting to God, God came to us. Different from every other religion in the world, God and his love through Jesus Christ came to us. God with skin on and the, and the person of Jesus Christ, the baby in a manger, came, lived, and died for me and you. God with skin on. Emmanuel, God with us. Can I just kind of, can I, can, I, can I make it a little personal this morning? And I really want you to think about this. God with us also means God with you. We think about it, God with us, right? Emmanuel, that's what it means. God with us. We, we think about, yeah, he's with us. Sure, man, we're in this room today and we can say that Jesus Christ is here with us today. And that's true. But have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus is with you? God with you. Have, do you need an Emmanuel in your life? I mean, we all have stuff we're going through. Do we need Emmanuel in our life? I need him every single day. In fact, there's a, Gosh, years ago, my wife and I were pregnant with our very first child. We were excited. And my wife was right at 34 weeks along. She's in the bathroom one day, and I hear, Jay. It was one of those concerned things. 
And so when you hear that, you get, you, you get a little concerned. Well, end up, she went into preterm labor. And so, you know, I'm trying to get, get my mind, and I grab her. We th- throw her in the car, gently, of course, and <laughs> we speed to the hospital. We get there, we get in a room, the doctor comes in, talking to him, examination. Aaron's on the table, I'm in the chair. He's in his little, he's in a little rolling chair, and he kind of pushes back from the table, and he says, well, it looks like you're having a baby today. And I was not prepared for that, all right? And I remember all the blood running out of my head, and then I began to kind of collapse forward with my head in my hands like this. And in that moment, Aaron, who's much tougher than me, said, Jay, please don't freak out. I need you right now, okay? And a few hours later, 12 hours later, I think, um, our son was born, and he needed further developing, for sure. And he went to the NICU, and um, he just wasn't ready to go home yet. And so that, that, that happened. That was a scary moment. But then about three days later, we were home. We get a phone call from the doctor. He said, hey, i got to talk to you about something. You know, when, when, when your son came through the birth canal, he developed a subdural hematoma on his brain. And, and we were like, okay, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, it could mean a variety of different things. You know, we don't really know. There could be some residual effects that, that come from this. Um, it could be nothing or it could be severe. Only time will tell. And at this point, my wife and I are already really weary and tired from, from, the, from the drama of, of the last number of days. And we were just really, really scared. And a lot of questions went through our head. We're like, what's, what's next for us? What's going to happen here? You know, what does this mean for our lives? Immediately, you go to worst case scenario, you know. Try not to do that. And the only thing we needed to do was cry and pray. And so we started, we started to pray. And we, we prayed that God would heal them. We prayed that God would protect our souls during this time. We prayed that, that God's glory would be glorified through this. We prayed and we thanked God that we were able to be parents no matter what happened. And we needed Emmanuel. We needed Emmanuel. We needed God with us, and he was. He was with us. He was with us that day. Do you need Emmanuel? Oh, by the way, that same little boy that was born is actually standing back there on the camera right now behind you, 18 years old, with still some residual effects, but, <laughs> but God has been good. Do you need Emmanuel today? Are you in a storm? in your own life right now? Let me, let me remind you that you're not alone, that there's Emmanuel who's with you. If, is your marriage falling apart this morning? Think about Emmanuel, God with you. Are you worried about tomorrow? Is this the first Christmas where you don't have a loved one in your home that you've always had? Emmanuel, you're not alone, God with you today. God with us also means God with you. That's one of the beauties of Christmas, 